0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. I want to start the podcast with, uh oh, what a week, but I feel like that's every week. I had a good week, though. I, um, I just got back from Palm Springs. Last podcast, I mentioned that I'd never celebrated Juneteenth, and for me, June 19th is my best friend's birthday. So that's usually how I spend the day. This year, I actually spent Juneteenth. I went down to a festival in Leimert Park, which was pretty cool. I was walking through the crowd with mask on with a couple of my friends. And I was like, oh, my God, it feels like I'm living in an episode of Insecure. Like when Issa had her block party. It wasn't like many white people, though. In the episode, Issa was really upset. And she was like, where are all these white people come from? But it wasn't no white people. Like four, six. That's it. But the day after that, I went to Palm Springs. I drove out with another friend to celebrate Bestie's birthday. So it was really cute. She had this really great house. If you were following my Instagram stories, you saw I posted a bunch of stuff from it. We had a chef come in and do brunch for her birthday. And I picked up a chocolate cake. The day after her birthday celebration was Father's Day. The guys went golfing. And then they put some meat on the grill, had lobster burgers, salmon burgers, burger burgers, turkey burgers. It was a really good time. So we just had some fun in the sun, hot as hell. It was like 82 in L.A., which with the dry heat doesn't really feel like anything. But we drove two hours to Palm Springs. It was like 111 degrees. And you get out the car, it feels like an oven. But it was a good time. I spent the whole weekend in the pool and kept yelling to people. I was like, look, I'm chocolate. And they were like, sweetie, you're mid-caramel. You've made it to mid-caramel. Congratulations. That's probably as far as you can go without burning yourself. Stop it. I got to figure out what to do for my birthday. Last year, I didn't do anything. I just moved to L.A. in April, and I had no furniture. So I had to buy, like, a, a house full of furniture. I had my bed by the time my birthday came, had my couch there was a reason I didn't celebrate because I was like, it don't feel right going on vacation or going to spend money. Oh, I didn't have a kitchen table yet. I just hadn't found one that I liked. Or maybe I didn't have chairs. No, I don't think I had the table yet. I just, I was like, I can't go drop, you know, however much on a vacation or go do something wild and crazy. And I literally have no kitchen table, like priorities, priorities, please. So I didn't really do anything big. I didn't really want to. To be quite honest, if I had done something, it would have been totally to like stunt for the gram and I'm not that person. I post pictures when I go on vacation. Otherwise, I don't want folks in my business, to be quite honest with you. But yeah, like I would have totally just been doing that to stunt. And I don't really care what other people think that much to do that. So, womp womp. I did go out to dinner with my cousin. She called last minute. I told everybody I was going to be in the house. I wasn't going out. And so she called and like insisted. She was 26 at the time. You know, birthdays are everything at that age. And she's like, we're going out. Get dressed. But I went out and I was glad to be out once I got there. It was a good birthday. It turned out good. But I don't know what I'm going to do this year. I mean, things are starting to open up in L.A., which probably isn't a good thing, seeing as how our COVID cases are going up. But even if they were going down, I wouldn't go out. Like, I'm so paranoid about getting sick, even with a mask on. I plan to stay in my house until further notice. If these cases keep going up here, I'll go back to D.C., but I'm good on going out and being mixy. I would like to celebrate my birthday this year, but I don't know what to do. So any suggestions, DM me on Instagram. I'd love to hear them. I have Trump on my list to talk about, but I don't really want to talk about him. His rally in Tulsa was a shit show. Whatever. Whenever he flew back to, to D.C., they had video of him walking across the White House lawn. Had his makeup all on his collar. His tie was undone, just flapping around. His shoulders were hunched. His head was down. He had that MAGA hat crumbled up in his hand. And I was like, good for you. Because the way you look is how half of America has felt like the whole time you've been in office. Now you know how it feels. May this wrath continue through the first Tuesday in November. There's been a lot of shenanigans this week. I mean, a lot more than the usual number of crazy. White people are really mad about Aunt Jemima. We talked about this last week. Like we talked about all the companies who are changing their name or changing their branding or supporting Black Lives Matter or donating money or denouncing things that they've been fine with all this time. And Aunt Jemima was on the list along with Uncle Ben's and several other things. But white people have really honed in on this Aunt Jemima. Like, you're taking some heritage away. So I was like, oh, so Aunt Jemima and the Confederate flags have the same meaning to you? Thought it was crazy, and it turns out it's not. So I was watching this woman, white lady, blonde hair, Republican, blah, blah, blah. She said, Aunt Jemima is the American dream. Her logic was the first face of Aunt Jemima was a black woman named Nancy Green. She was a former slave and she was one of the first people to become a living spokesperson for a brand. The entire time that she was a spokesperson for this brand, she also worked as a housekeeper and she died standing at a bus stop when a car jumped the curb and hit her. I don't know how much money she made for Aunt Jemima, but it couldn't be too much if she was still standing at the bus stop. I don't know what your American dream includes, but mine includes a car. I'm just saying. But this woman is talking about how the people on the left are trying to take all these things away, take away our history, take away our heritage. And I'm like, can I kindly remind you that Aunt Jemima, the name, is a character from a minstrel show. When they were trying to figure out the name for this syrup, one of the owners, creators, whoever, saw this Aunt Jemima character in a minstrel film or show and was like, oh, eureka. And then if you look at the packaging of Aunt Jemima, it's all minstrel colors. Like literally that red, gold, white, and black. On a very, very early episode of Ratchet and Respectable, I was talking to Kenya Rankin. She's an artist. We were talking about the use of blackface by Gucci and also Prada and why these images not just exist, but persist in American culture. And so she was like, oh, menstrual imagery is everywhere. Like it's woven into the culture. Once you know what to look for, you're like, oh, you see it everywhere. The purpose of menstrual shows, the purpose of blackface, was to remind black people of their inferiority, at least as perceived by white folks. And it's also used by white folks as an almost way of bonding over white supremacy. We talked about this last week with Dr. Stacey Patton. And she talked about how all these people would go to lynchings. It was a community event. They would take pictures. They would have postcards. They would send them around. It was bonding experience over anti-blackness and white supremacy. Aunt Jemima, that label, that image, those colors, that's what they represent. I like Aunt Jemima pancake mix very much. I like the syrup a whole lot better. It's, also, it's actually my syrup of preference. By all means, don't change the actual product. Change the label. Change the title. Change the image. You can keep the product. Did you see Cousin Gary Chambers Jr.? Did you see this story? Down in Baton Rouge, there is a school called Lee High. It was originally Robert E. Lee. A couple years ago, they got rid of the Robert E. So, Lee High. Members of the community want to change the school's name completely. One of the board members, Connie Bernard, whose name we would not know had she done her job. Folks want to get rid of the name for the school. Connie is like, yeah, very condescending. She says, quote, I would hope that they would learn a little bit more about General Lee because General Lee inherited a large plantation and he was tasked with the job of doing something with those people who lived in bondage to that plantation, the slaves, and he freed them. So Connie says this and then there's another board meeting that comes after that. This is where Gary Chambers comes in. So Gary has shown up to talk about Robert E. Lee. He went and did his research. He gathered his information. He came to present this information about Robert E. Lee to Connie, namely that Robert E. Lee was trash, was an especially evil slave master. So Gary showed up with a clean heart and a clean mind to advocate on behalf of the ancestors, to change the name of the school, and deliver some facts about Robert E. Lee. While Gary is sitting in the audience, waiting his turn to talk about why the name of the school should be changed, he's listening to other people who were also there to talk about why the name should be changed, Gary happens to see Connie scrolling on her computer, looking at dresses. Now, Connie is a school board member. This is a school board meeting. Connie got one job, which is to listen to the people and then make a determination and vote. Connie ain't want to do that part. Connie liked the voting part. Connie ain't like the listening part. Connie would rather shop at work than do her job. So Gary got up. Gary was fired up. And Gary let Connie's ass have it. I could read it to you, but I won't do it justice. Do you mind if I play it for you, please?
1: So I had intended to get up here and talk about how racist Robert E. Lee was, but I'm gonna talk about you, Connie, sitting over there shopping while we talking about Robert E. Lee. This is a picture of you shopping while we talking about racism and history in this country. Only white members of this board got up while we were up here talking too, because you don't give a damn, and it's clear. But I'm going to tell you what the slaves, my ancestors, said about Robert E. Lee, since you don't know history, sister. Let me tell you that they said when he got the plantation, after he got off the field where 27,000 people died at Gettysburg, Connie, Robert E. Lee, was a brutal slave master. Not only did when he whooped the slaves, he said, lay it on them hard. After he said, lay it on them hard, he said, put Brian on them so of burn them. That's what Robert E. Lee did. And you set your arrogant self in here and sit on that shopping while the pain and the hurt of the people of this community is on display because you don't give a damn and you should resign. You should walk out of here and resign and never come back because you are the example of racism in this community. You are horrible.
0: You know, Connie got up and walked out. She eventually came back. Her feelings was hurt. So this incident happens and it goes viral. and. The advocate goes and does a story. They go find Connie and they want to know what happened. Connie has an apology. She says, quote, my comments last week about the naming of Lee High School were insensitive, have caused pain for others and have led people to believe I'm an enemy of people of color. And I am deeply sorry. I swear there's like there's got to be like a cut and paste for white people who say crazy shit because they all come back with the same response. When I used to do dumb shit that was obviously dumb shit when I was a kid, I would do it and then I would say to my mom and I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And my mom would look at me and she'd be like, don't be sorry. Just don't do it. Like you knew it was stupid when you did it. You shouldn't have done it. Don't apologize for it. Don't do it. But that's how I am with like white folks and these apologies. Y'all say blatant ignorance or y'all do blatantly ignorant things. I don't mean all white people because there's white people out here right now as I'm sitting here taping this podcast, marching on behalf of my black life. I don't mean those white people. I'm fine with those white people. I'm talking about the Connie's and the Karen's of the world, the Bills and the Bobs of the world, the Matt Gates of the world. We'll get to him shortly. Them. But they do this stupid shit and then they come back and be like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I should have been more sensitive. Yes, you should have. Connie continues. I condemn racial injustice in all forms. I promise to be part of the solution and to listen to the concerns of all members of our community. I stand with you in love and respect. If you could have just stood up with love and respect at the beginning, people wouldn't be calling for your job, Connie. The advocate also asked Connie, they said, Connie, were you shopping? As Mr. Chambers said, were you actually shopping when the people were talking? Connie said, no. I was on my computer. I have a personal one and a one for work. I'm not really sure how to use them. There was a pop-up on my screen and I couldn't get it down. The advocate said, okay, Connie. said, Connie, did you get up and walk out the room because Gary Chambers Jr. was lighting your ass up? Connie said, no, no, no. I left because I had to go to the bathroom. Now, there were other people in that room who also saw what Connie was up to. One of those people was a human lie detector test. His name is Arthur Pania of Baton Rouge. He also attended the school board meeting and he determined that Connie was lying. The advocate spoke to him. He was quoted, but he read that piece when it came out. in The advocate, you know, he wanted to see his name in print, but he saw what Connie said and he said, oh no, 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 no. Lies. Those are lies. Pania said, yes, Connie was shopping. He said for approximately eight minutes, he watched Connie decide between a beige and red dress. Pania said that he was not sure, quote, if it was a short dress or nightwear. Let me find out Connie was looking at hoe dresses while folks was up there talking about slavery and ancestry and ending racism. He said, Connie said she went to the bathroom. He determined that was a lie. He said, Connie got up and walked out. She stayed gone for 45 whole minutes. Panea said, your face was upset, not your stomach. Fix your face. I'm sure there are hard aspects of the job of being a school board member. Sitting there listening to people ain't one of them. All you got to do is sit there. Connie was so bored listening to the grievances of the community. She'd rather shop for a hoe dress. Bye, Connie. You know who else took an L recently? Amy Cooper. Remember the dog lady? The black man, the bird watcher, asked the white lady with the dog. If she could put the dog on a leash because she was trying to watch his birds in peace. And she just had a complete fucking meltdown. It was like, I'm going to call the police and tell them that an African-American man is scaring me. Something like that. African-American man is doing something to me. Tried to summon the police on that man. But she acted a whole ass on camera. Eventually lost the dog. Because on video, he's like, she's so incensed about this man asking her to put a leash on her dog. She starts choking the dog. They took the dog, and then they gave her the dog back. But she lost her job. She had a good job, 175. But the New York Times decided to do a deep dive into these two individuals that had, before George Floyd, launched a national conversation about race and white privilege. They went and looked at the bird watcher, Chris Cooper. He's 57. Did you ever see a picture of him circulating? He was very nice looking. Very, very nice looking. They talked about Mr. Cooper. You knew he was a nerd. 'Cause he's bird watching. He's really into comic books and Star Trek. He once tried to learn Klingon. Like he's that level of nerd. But none of that surprised me. I was like, okay. Mr. Cooper has a series of activities that he likes to do, all of which involve him minding his business. Miss Cooper, however, she has a different way of being. Amy And I'm reading from the New York Times. I just want to be clear. I'm not reading from TMZ. I am not reading from the Daily Mail. I am not reading from the Inquirer. I am reading from New York Times, which is a reputable publication, just for clarity. So the Times reports that a few years ago, Amy Cooper was working at Lehman Brothers and she began dating a married man and she paid that married man $65,000 To leave his wife and then also to pay for the abortion of another mistress of his that was pregnant with his child. Sir took the money, but then she found out that his wife was also pregnant and that he was planning to marry another woman who was also pregnant. So, from what I can gather from the times, it sounds like three women were pregnant. So he had his wife pregnant, his one mistress pregnant, and then another mistress pregnant too. And then there was Amy. So when she found out his wife was pregnant and that he also had this other woman pregnant, she sued him to get her money back. They settled out of court. So I don't know how much of her money she got back. But he and the wife did divorce. And then now Amy is friends with the wife and she and the wife go on vacation the wife was interviewed by the Times and spoke glowingly about Amy. And I was just like, this is some white people shit. I don't even understand that. Your husband cheat. Like I get taking the anger out on him and not the mistress because he's the one that took vows. But me and the mistress can't be friends. That's a lot. The husband is now married to the second mistress that Amy had found out about. So because this woman couldn't just leash her dog, which was the park rules, none of this would have happened. She wouldn't have lost her job. She wouldn't have had all of her business published in an international publication. Now the whole world knows he was fucking a married man and paid him to leave his wife and his mistress to get an abortion. What kind of thing is that man slaying? Did you pay 65,000 American USD dollars Dineros? I don't want nothing like that. I don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. I definitely don't want to touch it. I don't want no parts of that. I don't want nothing that good. I don't want nothing that makes me think that paying $65,000 for it and it's married and it got somebody else pregnant on a scale of one to 10. That thing better be a 10. 65,000 American US in cash dollars, dineros, ain't no penis on the planet worth that. I don't care how good it is. It can't be that good. Even if it is that good, there gotta be somebody else out here delivering it for free. Penis is plentiful and cheap on the open market. 65000 USD, dollars, dineros in cash? That is crazy. This she did it. And now everybody knows about it. All because her dumb ass couldn't just put a leash on the dog. Good luck on trying to get rehired, ma'am. Not only do people think you're a raging racist, they be like, you ain't got no good sense. 65000 American USD dollars, dineros, in cash? Girl. On the House floor, shenanigans occurred this week. Congressman Cedric Richmond out of New Orleans and other congressmen are discussing police reform. Congressman Richmond is telling hard truth. He's telling the white people in the room, you don't know what it's like to be black. Certainly not to be a black man and to deal with the police. Congressman Gates out of Florida jumps in and he says, are you certain that no one else has a non-white child? You know what? I'm just play this because me trying to convey it to you, you, you're going to lose the meaning of it.
1: I will give you the benefit of the doubt that it is an unconscious bias that I'm hearing because at worst it's conscious bias. And that I would hate to assume from any of the people on the other side. Will the gentleman you? Sure. I appreciate your passion. Are you suggesting that you're certain that none of us have non white children? Be- because you, you reflected on your black son and you said none of us could understand. Matt, Matt, stop. I'm not about to get sidetracked about the color of our children. We're talking no, about said, black kids. I reclaim my that, time. You said that I reclaimed my time. I but know. You want the discussion? I know you that gentlemen. gentleman reclaimed his time. I said I reclaimed my time. I already know that there are people on the other side that have uh black grandchildren it is not about the color of your kids it is about black males black people in the street that are getting killed and if one of them happens to be your kid i'm concerned about him too and clearly i'm more concerned about him than you are so let's you, be clear you're, about you're that. Claiming, so you're claiming you're I more am concerned for my family than I do? Who in the hell the do you think? You Gentlemen, if the, the shoe gen- fits, listen, you don't know how much the we can Gentlemen, kick dog You should take those words down. The I'm not about your dis- family and love your family. The gentleman so win, will suspend. It. The gentleman will suspend. The time belongs to the gentleman from Louisiana. Cedric, would you yield? Was, was that a nerve?
0: So. Congressman Gates, Matt, that's who That's who Congressman Richmond is calling, Matt Gates from, from Florida. You know that man made all that damn commotion about his family and he ain't got no wife? And at the time, we didn't think he had a son. Unmarried, father to none. He made all that commotion just because he didn't want to talk about systemic racism and, and injustice. This video off C-SPAN starts to go viral. I posted it on my page. We all cackled. Like 80,000 people watched that video on my page alone, and we cackled all damn day. We had a great time. So the following day, Gates gets on Twitter, and he wants the world to know he has a son, Nestor, a 19-year-old Cuban boy who he's been raising for the last six years. He adds, quote, we share no blood, but he is my life. He lives with me in Florida I am so proud of him and raising him has been the best, most rewarding, blah, 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 blah. So you got your ass handed to you on the House floor and then you decided to come out the next day with a Cuban son. Would this have to do with anything Congressman Richmond was talking about? Congressman Richmond was specifically talking about black men, black boys, black people. Your Cuban son? Now there are black Cubans, yes, absolutely yes. Nestor, he don't look black. Cuban in Miami looking like Nestor would fight you if you called them black. For him to trot out this son to counter a conversation about blackness and to make a point to Congressman Richmond, you don't know what I do. You don't know who I raise, You don't know what's going on. Like, no, you're actually confirming his point. He's talking about black people. You want to go trot out a white Cuban to make your point. Plot thickens. Sir jumps out here and says, this grown-ass man is my son. Twitter goes and does what Twitter does best. Twitter goes and finds a picture of the boy that Gates had posted. The caption refers to his son, quote-unquote, as a local student. And if a teacher or someone who didn't know the child referred to him as a local student, that would make perfect sense. I've been somebody's child for 41 years. I assure you, my parents have never referred to me as just a local student. Maybe Demetria, my daughter, is a local student. She's attending XYZ school, XYZ college. But all I get is a local student from my daddy? That ain't on to nobody else? Then there's a video that Twitter found. Gates is sitting in the foreground. Nestor's sitting in the back. He's trying to explain who Nestor is. He says, this is my s- helper. Sound like he wanted to say something with an S. Maybe, son. But what he went with is helper. So the kind of brown boy that you're raising... Who you calling your son, you also calling your helper? That don't sound just a wee bit racist. The plot gets thicker. People Magazine does a story on Gates and, and his son, the grown-ass man, Nestor. Gates was like, yeah, he's here legally, but I didn't, like, you know, legally adopt him. What? You got this grown-ass man living in your house calling him your son. He's not even, like, your legal kid? Do you, do you have legal guardianship? Why is this kid in your house? People has more details. People says Nestor's father lives in Miami. Nestor's sister is Gates' ex-girlfriend. Nestor's mom died from breast cancer. Okay. So this child has a living father. I'm a guess Gates' girlfriend is kind of around his age. So a grown sister, but yet the boy is living with you? Why? Story don't make no damn sense. I'm going to say it because everybody's thinking it. Where's this grown-ass man sleeping in the house y'all share? He's sleeping in your bedroom. He got his own. Do you go in his bedroom at night? For what purposes? And when did you start going in there? This sounded a little Eddie Long. You know what I mean by that. Eddie Long was grooming them young boys. He waited till those young boys were of legal age in the state before he started touching on them. I know Nestor is grown now, but I need somebody to do a deep dive and a deep dig. This story don't sound no parts are right. I'd like to hope that it is because I don't like the idea of a child being abused. I don't like the idea of a young man being taken advantage of. I don't like the idea of his parents or sister selling him. I want what Gates says to be on the up and up, but this story don't sound no kinds of right, y'all. And still, I don't understand why sir jumped out there with this story. Congressman Richmond asked, he said, is that a nerve? Absolutely, it was. Clearly, it was. Cause you have jumped out here with this story? Nobody knew about this kid. Nobody was investigating this kid, calling him a kid. This grown-ass man. Sir said he 19, he looking 25. Sir got all riled up. Matt Gates brought all of this speculation about his child, his sexuality, his possible inappropriate relationships with underage children. None of this had to be speculated about. Because one, no one knew about Nestor. And if Gates had sat there and listen to a conversation about systemic racism and learned himself something that day, instead of having a hissy fit, he wouldn't be dealing with none of this ish, none of this scrutiny. Every major newspaper in the country with the best investigative reporters in the business is deep diving into his life right now. By the time the New York Times is done with him, Matt Gates will not be electable. Sad. But he did it to himself. I say this often. I apply it to myself. Sometimes I don't apply it as much as I should. And y'all be sure to let me know. Shutting the fuck up is free. Technically next on my list is to talk about white Jesus. But before we get to white Jesus, I want to talk about Bubba from NASCAR. Bubba Wallace. That's his That's his legal name? His legal name is Bubba? This piece just went up on, on uh, the New York Post. Let me read it to you. Bubba Wallace has become one of the most Bubba Wallace has become one of the most famous faces in sports over the past 2 weeks as he led the movement for NASCAR to ban the use of Confederate flags and even more so since a noose was found in his garage stall on Saturday. After the story broke about the noose in his garage stall, I was scrolling through my Instagram feed and like every single person was posting the video of Bubba driving his car on the track. I guess all of his colleagues, all of the racers, and then, I don't know NASCAR terminology, so work with me here, but all of the people that helped the racers, they were walking with him, officials were walking with him, so he was driving the car real slow, almost like he was leading a parade, but they were walking with him to say that they stand with him, and they stand against racism, and it was a really beautiful moment, he got out of his car through the window, I guess that's a racing thing, but he got out of his car through the window And he just turned around and he sobbed on his car. And then like an old white man in a hat went over. And, you know, men be weird about expressing emotion. But he put his hand on his shoulder in like a fatherly way. And, you know, Bubba was clearly very emotional. It was a really beautiful moment. I said on last week's podcast, like, it's crazy to me how NASCAR, I don't know, I associated NASCAR with Confederate flags and racism. I was like, never in a million years will you catch me at NASCAR. Like, that's that's just not my lane. I'm not going to hang out with like racist white people for fun. I'm good. With Bubba all over the place and then the noose and then the people supporting Bubba and the banning of the flags, they're really leading the way on race. I mean, NASCAR, NASCAR, with like one major black driver, is doing better with race than the whole NFL and NBA. So yesterday, the FBI, who had gone in and investigated this noose situation as a hate crime, they sent 15 FBI agents. So they were serious about like finding out what's going on with this noose. The FBI was like, yeah, so this noose was actually something to adjust a door. It wasn't a noose intended for a person. And it's been there since at least October, which is far ahead of when anyone would have known that Bubba would have had this stall. So this is not a hate crime. The FBI had video. They went and found some video somebody took in the stall on YouTube. And they highlighted on the news channel I was watching, which probably CNN, They highlighted where you could see the noose. And they were like, this is video from October. Like, this noose is the same one that was found in in Bubba's stall. Here's our receipts. Keeping it 100. I was like, did Bubba just pull a Jesse? Did he make that shit up for attention? Because he said the thing about the Confederate flags. He went on Don Lemon. He talked about the Confederate flags. And the next day, NASCAR was like, we're done. No more Confederate flags. Get that ish out of here. And then there's this news story. And I was like, did you go make up some shit? Because didn't Jesse have a noose in his story too? Bubba went on Don Lemon again last night. And he was like, look, that's not me. That's not my character. I don't need attention. I'm good. I didn't do that shit. I didn't make anything up. And then he told the story. I'm not the one who found the noose. Somebody else found the noose. The head of NASCAR is informed. The head of NASCAR calls him and was like, we got to talk. And he was like, sure, what's up? He was like, I'm thinking I'm in trouble. I did some shit. And he was like, no, no, we got to talk in person. So the NASCAR guy comes to him and he was like, here is what we found. He was like, they came to me with the story about the news. And then I shared the story about the news because I was like, this is wild. He was like, I'm glad that it turned out not to be what it was. And he's a mixed dude, but his black side came out. Like he was real, like put some respect on my name. Like I ain't that dude. But I watched the interview I heard what he said. I heard the story. I like the way Bubba handled it because he knew people were talking shit about him. He said, uh, last 24 hours have been, quote, just short of pure hell. I'm quoting the New York Post again. I wish I could convince everybody, like, I'm a good guy, you know? He added he was angry, rightfully so, at being falsely accused of a hoax. Now, I thought it could have been a hoax. It's just because we done seen this shit before. I'm glad he's addressing it. He's addressed it multiple times. I want him to stop talking about it because he's angry and he's frustrated and he's in his mid-20s. He can't handle this shit. Get him a publicist or a spokesperson. Let him speak through that person and go on and do his racing because he can't win against this. And he's going to say something crazy any day now. He said everything he needs to say. Let them go pick up the quotes from other places. So. Her current projects include two books for UNC Press, White Evangelical Racism, The Politics of Morality in America. He is prone to do yesterday's hot topic for Sean was White Jesus. White Jesus. I'm going to read you what Sean said. I could paraphrase a lot of this stuff. It's just so much better in other people's words because you should be like, he said what? Sean says, All murals and stained glass windows of White Jesus and his European mother and their white friends should come down. They are a gross form of white supremacy created as tools of oppression, racist propaganda. They should all come down. He's not the first person to say it. My thought process was, yeah, pretty much. I don't know many Bible verses, but I do know the ones in Revelation about Jesus with hair like wool and bronze feet. And I'm not saying Jesus was black. I'm saying Jesus wasn't white. Bronze feet and woolly hair don't describe no white man. A couple years ago, my 35th birthday, I went to Panama and I got to hang out with one of my favorite writers, Alex Hardy. Why have I never had Alex on the show? I texted him about something the other day. I'm going to invite Alex on the show just so we can talk about nothing because he's one of my favorite people. But I went to Panama and we met up and we went to see the two black Jesuses or is Jesus plural? We went to see two statues of black Jesus in Panama where the black people live. We went to a church where they have been praising black Jesus and not like mulatto Jesus. I mean like black, like chocolate black Jesus for over 350 years. And it's a seven foot black Jesus too. I walked in that church and I was in awe. There is something incredibly powerful about seeing God in your own image. About seeing a God in your image being celebrated. I think I'd seen paintings of black Jesus, but I'd never seen an actual statue. Even in the church that I grew up in, in my grandparents' church, my mother told me my grandparents believed in black Jesus because they taught black Jesus in Sunday school. But the Jesus on the wall of the church was white and the Jesus above my grandmother's bed was white. And in the church that I grew up in in D.C., Vermont Avenue, you walked in and there was a big ass painting of Jesus. And Jesus was white. But I knew in my heart that black Jesus existed. I took pictures of that Jesus from every angle. And the dude we were with, he was like, oh, this is just a stop on the way. There's another Jesus. So takes us out to this body of water and we take this like little ass boat across the big body of water. And as we get closer, I'm just like, what is that in the center of the water? Black folks done erected Jesus on a crucifix in the middle of the water. That water was warm like bath water. That was wonderful water. So I'm all excited about seeing these two black Jesus, right? Jesus is. When I get back to the States, I call my dad. and I'm like, dad, I was in Panama. I saw the most amazing thing. He said, well, tell me, what did you see? I said, dad, I saw black Jesus. He said, okay. I said, dad, did you hear me? I saw black Jesus. There were two black Jesus or Jesuses. He was like, all right, I heard you. I said, daddy, you're not excited about black Jesus. My daddy was like up in Detroit, down the street from where your mama used to live, up on Livinois. they had a black Jesus. You ain't have to go all the way to Panama for that. So a couple years ago, when I went back to Detroit, I was like, could you run me by the church over on Livinor? Living noise. And my mom was like, okay, why? And I was like, I wanna see Jesus. And she was like, oh, the black Jesus? Apparently, everybody in Detroit knew about this black Jesus except me. I wasn't raised there, but I went there all the time. But nobody told me about black Jesus. They were like, it's not a big deal. I mean, the black Jesus been there since before you were born. I'm, I'm like, nobody could have told me. Hang on, my mother, I didn't know you wanted to see black Jesus. Who black ain't in the black Jesus? Actually, a lot of people. I posted the picture from Good Times of uh, Michael with black Jesus that looked like Ned DeWino. And 75% of my readers were like, yeah, white Jesus got to go. It's terrible. White Jesus is gone. But I say like a good 20% of people. I mean, my DMs were unpleasant yesterday. But a whole bunch of black people were like, no. Why does Jesus's color matter? I was like, y'all don't see a problem with a bunch of black and brown folks praising a man who ain't in their image? It means that for whatever black and brown people need done in their lives, you got to pray to a white man to get it. You can't save yourself. You got to have a white man save you. This is the whole purpose of, of the imagery of white Jesus, no? You know, I love the Lord, but I ain't been to church in a month of Sundays. This is not my lane. So I went and found somebody whose lane it actually was. I called our good friend Candace Benbow and I was like, Candace, who is the expert on white Jesus and white supremacy? Dr. Anthea Butler is Associate Professor of Religious Studies and Africana Studies at the University of Pennsylvania. Professor Butler's courses include Religion from Civil Rights to Black Lives Matter, Religion in the African Diaspora, Religion in American Politics, and Ritual and Practice in Religious Studies. She holds an appointment in Africana Studies at Penn and is part of the graduate group in the History Department. Her books include Women in the Church of God in Christ, Making a Sanctified World, that comes out in 2021, and Reading Race, how publishing created a lifeline for Black Baptists in post-Reconstruction America. She also has a PhD in religion from Vanderbilt University. You will enjoy her and you will want more. You can find more on Anthea Butler, A-N-T-H-E-A, butler.com. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, buckle in tight and prepare yourself for Dr. And Thea Butler. So I know I'm onto something here, but I don't have the right context for it, which is why I wanted to talk to you. I want to talk about how white Jesus has been used as propaganda on brown and black folks. It actually
2: did a propaganda. If it was merely propaganda, then it would have been a time that there wasn't a picture of white Jesus. It's always been like this. If Europeans control the narrative, then Europeans are gonna make Jesus look like what they do. What he looks like to them, you know, they do this, and they're the ones that are in power. Once you get out of slavery, and we get into the Reconstruction period and beyond, you know, who's selling pictures of Jesus? White people. Who gets to Who gets to model this? White people, and so you can see, like in churches in the twenties, thirties, and forties, and people who were selling things, and black people sold this stuff too. When you got it from, you know, like a supplier, like you would just buy your dresses or whatever. When you got it from a supplier that did like church supplies, like your pews and everything else, the black Baptist sold white pictures of Jesus. They didn't sell black Jesus. Now they talked about it. And some of them did put some iconography up like this. And you have a black Madonna and child for the, you know, the, um, you know, the Garveyites and the teens and the 20s. But, you know, it's white Jesus until really the 60s.
0: How do we get this prevailing image of white Jesus when I believe it's Revelations? You tell me where we've got like black bronze. Brown, yeah, yeah. With bronze and, and woolly hair. Yeah. Yeah. Because basically,
2: again, white people. <laughs> 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 like, like, i gotta say white people. people make jesus look like what they look like i went to ethiopia when i was in grad school when we went there, there there's two images they always thought i was called the which is basically mother and child mary and jesus right there were two Theotokuses in the room When we met the Ethiopian patriarch One was black and looked like an Ethiopian The other was white And all the white people from ITC Black people from ITC lost their minds Because basically they were like Why is this white Mary and Jesus here And I'm like, they don't think about race like y'all think about it This is like, you know, we're showing both sides of this thing And we just don't show it And that's that they on not the same kind of racial issues we have We've been dealing with, you know, race white folks This is
0: Ethiopia They kicked the white folks out what, if anything, does it do to brown and black people to constantly see this image of Christ, it their conditions savior? You.
2: It, it, condi- it conditions you. To what? To, to basically be like the meek and lowly Jesus.
0: But the white people who are promoting that white Jesus ain't trying to be meek and lowly. Why do I have no, to be?
2: No, they don't have to be. That's white supremacy. That's the point.
0: Break that, that down for me like I'm slow.
2: If Jesus looked like you, then you don't have to be meek and lowly if jesus looks like you then you can you can say that you are directly from this lineage i mean this is this is not going to go we're not going to hit this in 30 in, in in 20 minutes or 30 minutes darling trust me this is like semesters of teaching what does it do for them it gets it empowers them jesus looks like them if you black and you just got to hope. you know you still love jesus you know this there's tons of black women who love jesus jesus is my man jesus is my boyfriend now i don't imagine that they sit up here thinking that they'd be with a white man Maybe they are. I mean, that's a question that, that a lot of Christian women need to ask. Black Christian women need to ask themselves. Are you imagining Jesus as, you, you know, the one who takes care of you as this white dude? Because if that's what you're imagining, then maybe you got a problem. I mean, if you just want a white dude, go get a white dude.
0: I was more like Jesus is my homeboy. Like, we can hang out. Yeah. Like, we're always yeah.
2: So, then you hang out with I mean, but are you hanging out with a white dude? Are you well, hanging out with a Middle Eastern guy?
0: Well, so Jesus in my head... Looks kind of like like Jesus from Good Times. I mean, it's kind of like Ned Wino, but it's yeah, like a yeah, dark skinned woolly hair Jesus. But, but a
2: lot of people don't even realize that Ned, you know, that picture of Ned Wino that was used as Jesus. They don't even they don't even resonate with that.
0: Oh no, I've always believed in Black Jesus.
2: Yeah, well, that's good. You, but how old are you? Forty one.
0: See,
2: you different age, but frame. You forty one. My mother is somebody who's sixty five and over.
0: Well, so I asked my mother about this the other day, because my grandfather um, was a pastor, which makes his wife his first lady, but they passed away. And I was talking about white Jesus. And I remember the white Jesus on my grandmother's wall. And I was like, I'm out here talking about black Jesus, denounce white Mm -hmm. Jesus. And I was like, my grandmother will rise up and haunt me. And my mother texted me and she was like, your grandmother was fine with that. Your grandmother taught black Jesus in Bible study. Yeah, and I think a lot of people
2: did. I do think a lot of people did. But I also think and this is this is the truth, I also think that a lot of people don't like that imagery to change because that's what they're used to. They haven't thought about white supremacy. Either. They haven't thought about any of it.
0: How deep is white supremacy in Christianity, in America at least? <laughs> Let me sell my new book. <laughs> <laughs> By all means, please do.
2: Come, 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 come and ask Early, early next year, you know, white evangelical racism—the politics of morality in America.
0: Oh dear, that's a lot.
2: So, guess what? Yes, racist. It's a lot racist. Christianity is racist. I mean, if you go back and you think about how Jesus even dealt with the Syrophoenician woman, to start there, he didn't want to talk to her.
0: You got to break this down for me because I don't know the story.
2: The story is like when he, the Phoenicia woman comes to him and he's like, he's just ignoring her. And she says, you, you know, the dogs are eating off the crumbs of your table. Why can't you give me something? He has to pay attention to her. I mean, Jesus was racist.
0: Yo, you're going to get my whole podcast shut down saying this. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's
2: the truth. He's racist. He's racist. I mean, he and my daughter Listen, I can break the scripture down. Mark 7, 24 through 30.
0: I ain't gonna get your podcast messed up. <sighs> I wish you could see my face right now. I was like, I should have tried to book her for two hours. When you're talking about, you know, the, the way that religion is practiced is racist. The image of Jesus is racist. Jesus was racist. What does this do to the brown and black people that are praising or practicing this religion? You have to make some decisions, make some decisions about what kind of Christianity do you believe in?
2: do you believe in this Christianity that has been taught to you with the white, blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus looking like a surfer boy? Or a assignment Jesus, you know, with the long hair looking off into the face? Or do you believe in the, in the bronze feet and woolly-haired Jesus? Do you believe in the Middle Eastern Jesus that looks more like, you know, probably what an Egyptian man would look like or, you know, an Israeli man? Or, you know, or even an Ethiopian man? Then, you know, what, what's in most churches right now? That's number one does that do you know but some people might say well it doesn't matter what picture jesus is you know i just love jesus well that's fine and good but what does that do to your personal psyche what does that do to you as a person how do you behave as a christian do you behave as a christian because you you think that you know whiteness is the best thing i mean we sing all these songs you know wash me white as snow well why can't it be wash me black as snow for black people this is loaded. And so you have to begin to interrogate. If you are a Christian, what does it mean to to be in to be in a religion that makes you have to say maybe my looks aren't the best way to be a Christian? So I'm gonna give you an example. When I wrote my book, uh, "Women in the Church of God in Christ: Making a Sanctified World," nope, none of these women would talk to me. When I had braids in my hair it was grad school, you know, you try to do hair, like you gotta do it, right? And not make and make sure that, you know, you can you can pay for your hairstyle, right? Grad school, is hard, you don't have money. I realized that the only way I was gonna get to talk to some of these older mothers is if I straighten my hair. The moment I straighten my hair, everything was cool. What is that about? That's what I'm talking about. This is what Christianity does to you. You can't even have a nappy head. Now you now if people need to hear me, I'm not saying don't be a Christian. What I'm saying is you need to think about what your
0: Christianity has done to you. So you sit down with yourself and you have these conversations with people who are listening and you realize like all the the racism that is inherent in your religion. What do you do mm-hmm. then? Like do you well, you need to decide if that's really valid for you or not. Do you go find another religion? Do you find another no, way to? I'm just saying, for some people, this
2: is really valid. You find, you find hope in the scriptures. Look, there's black Bibles to read. There's all kinds of you know books about black exegesis of scriptures. You can stop listening to Joyce Meyer and everybody else you're listening to, and start paying attention to some black folks. Maybe not Sean King. Well, is he black? Did we uh, ever no, get he to the bottom? Okay. I was he's like,
0: like we. I was like, wait, wait black? He's ambiguous. Okay. Yeah, you're kind of blowing my mind right now.
2: sorry.
0: <laughs> I mean, you're no, you're not. This is what you do for a living. Like, this is the whole point that's of the book that you're working on. That's why folks to make you think about it. I think you kind of touched on this, and I wonder if we could go a little further. Why do black people get so defensive about white Jesus?
2: Because they love him. It's a moment of realization. You get defensive about white Jesus because the moment somebody asks you about why you worshiping this white man, there's a history about that, too. You know, if you think about, you know, the nation of Islam of Malcolm X, y'all worshiping this white, you know, this white man's religion, blah, blah, blah. So people get real upset about that because they're like, no, I'm not worshiping a white man's religion. I'm worshiping the son of God. I'm worshiping Jesus. But Jesus, as a white man, is a representation of a, a certain kind of whiteness, right? A certain kind of reality that these people constructed because they wanted to, and because they had control over that. And you know, unfortunately, black pastors brought those pictures. They didn't. Nobody questioned this. Nobody questioned it. Not not until later, not until the sixties and the seventies when people started thinking about black theology and black power with Jim Cohn and all of this. Nobody started questioning what these things were. These images were. You might have you, you might have realized that Jesus wasn't really white, but you didn't question those images. But if you, if you start to question it, then you have to re, you have to come to grips with the fact that Christianity has white supremacy embedded in it.
0: Even in a book that's mostly about brown people?
2: Yeah. And I always remember, it's not just brown people in that book. There's white people in that book okay. because you have Romans. Mm. And some of them Romans went back to see. But also, the other thing is, too, you don't have color doesn't play out the same way in certain parts of the, the world that we're looking at in the Mediterranean. It plays out in different kinds of ways. Yes, there's still racism back then. There's, there's plenty of racism, but it plays out in very different ways. When you start to have the real kind of racism that we're talking about today, that comes up in the 17th century when after slavery begins and you start to have the enlightenment period and people start to make these kind of comments about, you know, the worth and intelligence of black people because of the slave trade.
0: You got to justify so, it somehow. Okay. And they
2: have to justify it, right? I mean, I think for anybody who's who hears this and they're struggling, then I would say to them, I'm like, you need to start reading some other stuff.
0: Is pursuing getting rid of white Jesus, is this going anywhere? Because I feel like this no, is one, like, I think it's a worthy. This is, this is like, it's, it's a worthy thing. But
2: I mean, getting rid of white Jesus is getting rid of the white Jesus in your head first. Mm. That white Jesus in your head is worse than any white Jesus that's hanging up on a wall.
0: To shame. Those are my questions for you. Is there anything that I should have asked you that I have not? Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm. We gonna blow some minds this week. I don't think people are ready for this one, but, <laughs> Probably not. but that's why this podcast exists. I want to make people think. So here we are. Yeah. yeah, here we are. When she said Jesus is a racist, I was like, "So there goes my podcast." It was a good run while I had it. I'm thankful for all the people who tuned in who will never tune in again. So that is my podcast for the week. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. If you need ratchet and respectable in your life, in the meantime, please give me a follow on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at Demetria L. Lucas. If you enjoyed the podcast this week, please subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. I think that's everything. We'll talk soon. Next week is kind of up in the air. I'll let you know, okay? All right. Bye.